0: Hello, welcome to Southeast Baptist Tabernacle Night. How are you guys doing? Everybody all right? Good evening? Yeah. All right, well, uh, we'll go ahead and start our service by singing Surely Goodness and Mercy Shall Follow Me. Let's stand and we'll sing together. of the rock.
1: Good evening. Good to have you all here this evening. By the way, Miss Ruth, you should know Tim. This is Ruth Olson, if you didn't know that. And you might know, let's see, who else did I think that you might know? Oh, Rick's not here. You might know uh, Bob and Carlene Kobza back there. So, you know, you've already run into these people. I was. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, anyway... Great to have you all here tonight, so if you would, a uh, couple things I'll mention for prayer before, and then you can, when we go to prayer time, try to remember them. Uh, Miss Vicki, uh, she's, her, her cancer, right now they're trying to decide what they're going to do, but they're actually scheduling her to see um, reconstructive surgeon. so they're anticipating perhaps having to do a mastectomy, so if you just pray for Miss Vicki, I know she'd appreciate it. That's not certain, but they're just trying to figure out some things that they're, concerned about there. So Robert's stage two, right? So they did determine that and we're really hoping it's all contained to that kidney. They'll pull the kidney out of there and cancer be gone. So praying for that. But Chuck's not here because uh, the treatment that he took yesterday knocked him down. And so uh, just continue to pray for him. Uh, So I got, you've probably been in touch with Bill and Kathy, but they were here this morning. I didn't know Kathy's sister has the same kind of cancer. I'd never heard of this cancer before and now I've heard of two people, but they... uh, have a new medicine, same doctor that you guys are working with, I guess. But anyway, uh, and she's now officially in remission, so that's uh, good news. So hopefully we can, they can't cure it, but they can get into remission, which is fantastic. Remission is is like a cure if we can stay there, right? So uh, we just pray that that will happen. So pray for those folks. Pray for the teenagers. They're with Pastor Andrew. You know Pastor Andrew. So, Eric, did you see him the last time you were here? So, okay. And uh, pray for the college group as they're meeting, the Mana groups as they're meeting. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll jump into our study. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, be here tonight to allow you to challenge us and to strengthen us. Pray that you would just help us to grow in your grace and uh, be with all of the different groups that are meeting throughout the, the buildings. That you would just uh, use your word to challenge each one and draw them closer to you. Be with our college group as they're prayer preparing for the uh, missions trip to Utah in June, that you would uh, get their hearts ready for that. And be with these ones who are battling uh, so many sicknesses that are going around. Just pray that you would just strengthen their bodies, strengthen their spirits, help them to uh, find hope and strengthen you. We'll thank and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to have Kyle back with us. He's pneumonia-free at this point, it sounds like, so uh, finishing up his steroids uh, this tomorrow. Last bill tomorrow, so anyway, so we're excited about that. We started this study last week, and we'll try to go through uh, the the, uh, month of May with it, Building Godly Character and Values. So I'm going to see if you can remember. uh, We talked about reputation, character, and values last week. So we defined all three of those. If you can remember from last week, reputation is... What people think of you, right? What people think you are. Character is what God knows you are, right? Uh, Values, what do we say? Remember how we defined that one? It's not hard. What you value. What's important to you, right? Our value system is just that. It's what, you know, we live our lives by a value. So everyone, everyone lives their life on a value system. And what we value determines what we do, right? It just depends on how it determines how we spend our money, how we spend our time, you just keep filling in the blank. It's all based on our value system. And so we want to have godly character and values. Now I said last week, and I'll say it again, I'm preaching to the choir here, so to speak. This is the Wednesday night church crowd. You know, chances are you've made most of these good decisions. What we're really trying to focus on is how we can reflect this to the generations below us. Uh, there's a verse that says, I think we actually might read it tonight, but it's, you know, that in, that in the generations to come, you know, and, and we're supposed to be doing things in our lives on purpose that are going to uh, impact the next generation. And one of the problems is, right now in our society, is that we've, we've lost that. We've somehow lost that, uh, that value system, passing it on to a generation or two now. And now we're paying the consequences. Those, everyone out there you know, are living out their value system. Unfortunately, it's the value system that they were handed by the previous generation, right? So, but they're still breathing so that they can still be impacted. And so what we want to do is figure out how to reflect that and then how to build that godly character and godly values into the next generation. So we're going to redefine these again. Uh, in another way, so reputation is what we are when others are watching. By the way, I didn't come up with these. These are as old as your grandmother, probably. But, uh, and character is what we are when no one is watching. Right? That's a, that's a really good understanding of reputation. We all put on our Sunday face and come to church, and here we are, and we have this reputation. But uh, that doesn't mean that's what we are when no one's watching. The problem is God is always watching, right? Uh, Proverbs says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God hasn't missed anything. And so God's always watching. We need to, we need to live our lives as if we understand that truth, that God is watching. And since he is the audience of one that we desire to please, uh, that's what we want to uh, go after. So uh, that's what we're looking at with those two more definitions. So last week we introduced this to you. We're, we divided the whole thing up into three major categories, and one of them is personal values, and we're going to focus on these for the next couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully we'll be done by the time we get to the end of May. end of May may seem like a long way away, but it's what, like six weeks? It's not that far away, and uh, uh, time just keeps marching on. Uh, So we looked last week at humility slash meekness there. Today we're going to look at courage, faithfulness, and resourcefulness. We'll see if we can get to the others. I don't know how many of these others we're going to be able to get to and keep, because we have two more of these major uh, things to uh, work ourselves through. So we're going to look at courage. Joshua 1 9 Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Right, we're supposed to have that good courage. In 1 Corinthians 4, it is required of stewards to be found faithful and resourcefulness. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her ways. Look what the ant does. and let's, let's live more like that than resourcefulness. So uh, let's kind of walk ourselves through these, and then we'll get there. I've given you some quotes about courage. You can just Google this and come up with all kinds of things. I just came up with uh, these. I thought these were good. Winston Churchill said, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen yikes, uh, the stand up and speak, right, especially us Baptists, we've got that one down, let's stand up and speak, uh, but you know what we, us Baptists have really been bad about over the years? Sitting down and listening, and, uh, so, but it takes courage to do both of those, I thought that was a good definition of courage, uh, here's another one, Theodore Roosevelt said, courage is not having the strength to go on, it is going on when you don't have the strength, that's a good definition of courage, right? Uh, we all need to exercise some courage. Would you agree that one of the problems we have out there in society is that nobody has the courage to take a stand? And everybody quits way too easily. You know, and life's hard. You know, life is just hard. Uh, in fact, around here our saying, is, life's not fair and then you die. Uh, I mean, it's the way it is, and we're going to have to have some courage to get through all of these things. So uh, Mark Twain said, courage is not the lack of fear. It is acting in spite of it. Uh, so those are three really good quotes about courage. So I'm just kind of spur us on in having some courage. Um, just out of curiosity, you can share if you want. What, what what's some of the what's one of the most daring things that you have you've had to do? Like where you had to have some courage, and it took it took a lot of courage for you to do this. Would anybody be willing to share one of those? I'm just giving the opportunity for <laughs> that.
0: I took Brenda out to what was the blue heron out there at Geist. Right. And uh, to tell her, and I'm telling you, we ate, we had just a great night, and on the way out to the car afterwards, (laughs) I finally got up the nerve to tell her. I don't know why it was so hard, but you know what she said to me? I thought you were going to tell me you wanted a divorce. (laughs) 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 And you're listen. thinking, but I was afraid that's what you were gonna tell me after I told you to on the preach. <laughs> so I don't know why you fear there, but yeah. you know,
1: it took some time to get. Melody said I'll marry you on one condition. I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I said, don't worry, I'm not gonna be a pastor. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Steve white water rafting.
0: White water rafting. <laughs> Oh, of course. You would be the one to get flipped out of the <laughs> boat. <laughs> down the stream.
1: <laughs> you can't really drown unless you just, I mean, they've, they've got you pretty much life you know—life jacketed up, unless when you- You slip
0: out of the boat and you hit the water, I went way oh over man. there, because we hit a real big rapid and then you you hit the water and you look up and all you see is the sun peering down <laughs> out of the water, because you're down. Right, it in it, I know. I wonder if a life jacket on
1: <laughs> The life jacket only held me to here. So right. It was, <laughs> Yeah, well, everyone, we I've taken teenagers three or four times, and um, the place we went would always show this video, and it was a video intended to scare you half to death because they wanted you to be paying attention in the raft because everybody has a job to do. It's not like the, the guy can do this raft all by himself. He needs all six oars doing their job. And, uh, and so they're trying to scare you to death, and at the end they say, if you're afraid to go, don't. And we had one teenager one time said, "I'll stay here. I'll wait. I'll wait the two and a half hours till you get back." <laughs> Anybody else? Real quick, Miss Ruth. God called me to teach on blog I had three weeks to sell everything I owned and move halfway around the world by myself. Wow. And now you're going where? Now I'm going to Togo, West Africa. <laughs> Togo, West Africa to work with. The Camille's that's so the, yeah, the, the Camilles are the ones that you guys, some of you might know, they've been here before, and uh, so Ms. Ruth is going to teach, there's a, a group of missionary doctors that are there, and and medical teams, and she's going to teach their kids, she's a teacher by, by trade, who else, I saw a handbag there, Doc, go ahead.
0: When you mentioned uh, videos, I, I remember that blood on the highway and driver's head, oh yeah, and they had to watch, I was so scared when I got into the car, they don't, they don't do,
1: yeah, exactly. The
0: cars—they
1: don't do that anymore. They don't scare the kids half to death. I guess they just let the kids scare the, dri- the drivers into hazard. And I mean, they would show us those movies. Remember, they were gory and awful. And, and by the time you get in there, you're like white knuckled, just hanging on. <laughs> Please don't make me do this. Oh, it's crazy. Funny part about that is though, that we still got our driver's licenses at sixteen. I've, I've got a kid, I've got an 18-year-old in my Bible class Still doesn't have their driver's license. We had an intern, a 21-year-old intern last summer did not have his driver's license. like, get your driver's license. What's the problem here?
0: i never drove before, and I, have, I was given a chance to go to college, and of course I took a chance at, and did but I lived in North Carolina where the mountains are. I never drove the standard before. And um, so um, I, my dad got in the car with me, told me, I'm shit. And I went across the mountain, terrified out of my mind. By the time I got there, I was shaking really bad. Oh but yeah. A student took me and showed me how to drive really well, and I went down the mountain better than I went up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: uh, you know, stick shifts are not easy to drive, but on in hills, that's woo! Wow, that's incredible. So anyway, courage is not the lack of fear, but it's acting in spite of it. That's a good one. So what we're going to look at, though, is Bible courage, right? We're going to really, really want to look at Bible courage. Take your Bibles to Judges chapter 6 if you want to turn there real quick. And uh, so we'll, we really don't have time to read the whole story, but we can kind of walk ourselves through the story of Judges chapter 6. And... Um, Okay, thank you. Uh, I just got a text, and I just wanted to make sure it was something I didn't need to. When people text me during a church service, I always figured that it might be something. So, but it might not have been during the church service. I just now noticed my text. That's the problem. All right. So Judges chapter six. It's the story of Gideon. Tell me what you know about Gideon already. What do you know about this story? He was a farmer. I mean, this is a big deal, right? So Gideon's a farmer. And God comes to him and says, "You know, hey Gideon, I want you to go be a, lead my army uh, to defeat the Midianites." And um, Gideon's response to God is, um, "I think you have the wrong person. I am a farmer, first of all, and I'm from the least, you know, I'm I'm of the least tribe of the children of Israel, and I'm just a nobody." And and here's here's the other thing to think about this, right? I mean, the implication of it is that Gideon has had how much training to be a soldier? Zero. I and mean, that's the implication. We don't know. Maybe he's, you know, maybe his dad was a soldier. I, the Bible doesn't deal with any of that so much. But you know, he's a farmer because his dad was a farmer. He's a farmer by trade. And, and, but God's going to send him to do something that he has never done, that he is, humanly speaking, not qualified to do. He, he's not qualified to do this. Uh, he's not trained for it. He has no idea. He doesn't, you know. He thinks like a farmer, not like a soldier, and uh, that's a big deal, right? So you remember he then goes through the fleece thing, right? You know, and and uh, you know, get the fleece wet and keep the ground dry. Get the keep the get the fleece dry and keep the ground wet, and back and forth. And but I I do want to point out that what I find very interesting about the fleece, and I, should we use a fleece? you ever done that? Lord, if you want me to do this. We have a fleece, right? So um, I'm just going to point this out. God does not rebuke Gideon, okay? God's very patient with Gideon. But in the end, the fleece didn't tell Gideon what God wanted. God had already told Gideon what he wanted, right? All the fleece was to do was to embolden Gideon's faith so to speak, right? So I'm reminded of the guy in the New Testament who came to Jesus and said, you know, my son needs to be healed. And Jesus said, hey, if you have, you know, if you can only believe, it'll be done. And the guy says, what? Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, right? It's that same kind of concept. You're like, I believe you, Lord, but I'm, my faith is a little weak here, you know, and that's where Gideon was. And God just very patiently works him through, and finally. So then, what's the what's the first? So Miss Amy pointed. So Miss Amy comes to the morning and the evening. By the way, it's like two different lessons anyway, right? So you may as well come to both. I don't, I don't use those kinds of notes, so I'm just up here talking. But uh, so uh, Miss Amy pointed out something about this particular part this morning. So what's the first thing Gideon do that was an act of courage? After God spoke to him, anybody remember? <laughs> <laughs> Came out of hiding. That's true. But what he does is he goes and he and he destroys the uh, the idol. Remember, and. Oh, everybody, everybody comes out and say, who, you know, who did this? And Miss Amy pointed out, he did do it at night, Pastor John, <laughs> and he did, that's true. His courage was a little bit weak, perhaps, he did it at night, uh, but, you know, after that, you know, then the army gathers itself together, and he looks out there, and there's 33,000 people, that's a lot of people in anybody's book, you know, so there's 30, and at that moment, you know, you can imagine Gideon's like, oh, you know what, this may not be as bad as I thought it was going to be. And God says to Gideon, too many, too many, Gideon. So just ask him, if you don't want to be here, go home, and 23,000 of them take off. 10,000 left, which is still a lot of people, right? But when you're going against an army of 100,000, it's not quite. And God says, but Gideon, that's too many people. Now, So God, God you know, emboldened Gideon's faith, and now he's really putting it to the test, right? Every step that Gideon is going to take from this point forward is going to be going to be a major a major step of courage for Gideon. Now, um, here's what's so funny. You know why Gideon didn't have to be an, a soldier? <laughs> he never really fought, right? Uh, God says, "Here, take a torch, put a put a you know pottery uh, pitcher over it, and when I tell you, break the pitcher and scream." and and I mean, th- this is their fighting, right? And then everybody kills each other in, in panic, and uh, so he really didn't have to know a, a whole lot about soldiering at this point, you know. God's the whole point. Of God is saying is trust me, right? This is what courage is. It's trusting God. And so this morning we were talking. In order to trust God, what do I have to do? I don't don't make this really hard. But what's the what's the step I have to take to trust God? It is a step of faith, but what am I stepping away from? Okay, I'm going to step away from what I was trusting before, right? If I'm going to trust God, the question is, if I'm going to trust God, what am I trusting now? Because what it means is I have to step away from what I'm trusting now to trust God. And typically, it's our own abilities, right? We're, we're like Moses, Sitting there, saying, "God's like Moses, go do this," and Moses is arguing with God. I can't do that. And He's just like Gideon. I, I, this isn't for me. This isn't for me. I, I'm, I can't speak. I can't, you know, do any of these things. And God's saying the same thing to Moses as he was to Gideon, as he did to Gideon. Or actually, Moses came first. But anyway, he's like, "It's not about you, Moses. You know, you, hello. You're trusting me. It's about me. Can I do this?" If I can do this, then you can trust me to use you to do it. That is, you know, that's that big step. But I tell you, it takes a lot of courage to get out of that comfort zone and step, you know, proverbially where no man has gone before, right? I mean, that's a big deal. And uh, so uh, that's what so, uh, that's in Judges chapter 6, you know, as you know, then they go out and fight this. Turn over to, Matt, to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry, we didn't read much there, but... We'll glance through a little more in Hebrews chapter 11 because this is probably the greatest chapter of courage, right? It's called the faith chapter, but again, this is what what is involved in faith, is not having ability, not having no fear, not it is in spite of my own inabilities and sometimes my disabilities, and in spite of my fears, stepping out, and trusting God to do something, that step of faith. So in Hebrews chapter 11, of course, we have these huge um, uh, statements of faith. Abel, Enoch, uh, we talked about that a little bit. I've often wondered, because the Bible literally gives us very little about Enoch. You know, in the Old Testament, Enoch walked with God, and he was not. Here in the New Testament, that's explained. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated, that he should not see death, and was not found. By the way, was not found means that somebody was. And I want you to really realize this. Read through the book of Genesis when you see Enoch. The reality is, it wasn't like Enoch was just this lonely guy that didn't have anybody. Enoch was leaving a family behind. You know, I mean, I, I this is a big deal. I, you know, most of us. I mean, if we had this conversation with God, God said, hey, Enoch, you just want to come on to heaven with me? And we'd be saying, you know, I'm kind of waiting for that third grandbaby to come along, you know? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, this is is a big step of faith, you know, so don't ignore that. By faith, Enoch was translated. Uh, But we go on down to Noah. Took a lot of courage for Noah. Why? What, What was so courageous about what Noah did? Say it again. He had the whole world against him. I mean, literally, his family are the only ones that are going to get on the boat with him. And I have to think that at some point, the brothers are saying things to themselves like, to each other, like, I think Dad's gone over the edge. I mean, think about this. God said to Noah, build an ark. It hasn't rained yet. Read the story. It hasn't rained yet, but build the ark anyway. You know, we're going to build a boat a ship and it's and i mean you know you the impression you get from the scripture is that he's mocked and ridiculed for 120 years while he's building it and and i'm amazed really that he wasn't more like lot you know when lot tried to get his family to follow they mocked him to scorn and he had to be dragged out of the city by the by the angels remember and uh, it's amazing that um you know Moses, Noah wasn't more like that, but the, you know his family gets on the boat with him, so that's pretty amazing that he got them on there. But people are—that's that's pretty courageous to spend 120 years uh, doing something nobody's going to see any sense for. Then in verse uh, eight, Abraham—I love this one. God says to Abraham, "Go." And you hear this conversation, can't you? Where you want me to go, Lord? Just start walking. I'll tell you when you get there. Abraham's not the, the shocker; it's Sarah. Sarah, come on. Where are we going? I don't know yet. God said to go. Let's go. Uh, you know, and it's like, that, that's a major, uh, these are all major steps of faith. It, it's getting us out of our comfort zone and making us have some courage. Um, Sarah, 90 years old, having a child in verse 11. It's like, wow, that takes a lot of faith. And she didn't have a ton of faith. Remember what, she, what happened when, they, when she heard it? She laughed. Like, yeah, right, that's not going to happen. So she didn't have a ton of faith, but, she, but afterward, can you imagine when she realized, wow, I really am going to have a child at 90? Can you imagine what that was like? So I, I don't know, some of you would have to be here a long time to remember this, because it was still more over the other place. But, you know, Mel and I couldn't have kids, and we adopted JD, and then we adopted Mia, and, and uh, we're just living the life, you know. And when Mel turned 40... She got pregnant, 40. And at this point, we're like, we're not sure if that's a blessing or a curse. I mean, just being honest with you, we're like, you know, Lord, we we kind of thought this was it. You know, we've got these two kids you've given us to raise, and she miscarried, you know, again. But, uh, you know, it was just, uh, I remember standing up and telling the church, and we're like shaking in our boots because we're thinking, we don't know if we're ready at 40 to start with this little baby. We thought it was crazy when we were 33 and starting with these little babies. And so it's like, you know, 40 was a lot. You know, it's different if you've been having kids all along, but we didn't. You know, it wasn't, that wasn't the way it was for us. And so, but anyway, so the Lord knows. But there's, I can imagine what's going through uh, Sarah, but she received strength to conceive and was delivered of a child. Then, uh, you know, you go on down um, to got to hurry through some of these Jacob and Esau. Moses, uh, I love what it says about Moses. Uh, Look at verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of, what's it say? Christ. Moses understood about the Messiah. Do you understand that? You know, we sometimes think that nobody in the Old Testament knew anything about him. Everybody was shocked by Jesus. That's not true. Remember, the wise men were looking for him. Uh, Simeon and Anna were looking for him. You know, people understood there was a Messiah coming. Even Moses understood, and he chose that. And uh, But those are big steps of faith. And, and uh, then, of course, he took the step of faith to... Follow the Lord. And if you keep on going, we don't have time to go through it all, but you get down to um, go to verse, uh, oh, let's see, um, verse 32. And what shall I say more? For the time would family tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and uh, Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword and wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom this world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and in the mountains and the dens and the caves of the earth. Wow. You talk about courage, right? That was courage. Can you imagine what it was like? Some of you can know because you have parents that did this. Can you imagine what it was like to be a 17 or 18-year-old kid and World War II breaks out in Europe? And you're being called up off the farm. You're you're literally a Gideon. Come on, you're going from the farm to war. That's a big deal, you know. That that was courage, and that courage impacted a generation. Unfortunately, we pulled away from showing, reflecting that, and we we've, we've bypassed a couple of generations, and we're watching what happens when we don't help impart godly character and values into another generation. And I'm not talking about just our kids. We've got to go beyond just our kids. We've got to you know, reach out into the community and help impart these things and figure out how to do it. That's what we're doing. Fox's Book of Martyrs, it should be Fox's, not Foss's. Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, uh, they come out with a new one every four years or so because mar- martyrdom is still happening. In fact, if you're not, a, not aware of this, the last hundred years were some of the bloodiest for the Christian movement ever. Ever. It's just not in America. We, we have tunnel vision here sometimes. We think that the way life is here is the way life ev- is everywhere. And it's just not true. And so we get this tunnel vision. And uh, But people are dying all around the globe for the cause of Christ, even as we speak. And uh, so you ought to pick up a new a new, re, um, revised Fox's Book of Martyrs, and and uh, go through that. The courage of the preacher, uh, John or George Whitefield uh, in Easter week in London back in 1792 was like carnival in Brazil, or was like the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Uh, it was it was a revelry taking place, and and um, George wanted to impact that. With the gospel, and so he called together some friends, and they prayed and they prayed and they saturated with prayer. And the morning of the of the start, Monday after Easter, they get out there and he built he puts a puts up a pulp a platform and a podium on top of it, a, plat, a pulpit on top of it, and he starts preaching. And because the conviction of the Holy Spirit was there, people are ashamed of what they're doing and they're pulling away. And those who are out there selling sex and selling alcohol and selling whatever it is that they're, they're selling, uh, the revelry that's going on, they get angry and they come and begin throwing things at him. And he does this every day for a week. And by the end of the week, there are more people coming on that following Sunday, more people come to church than were out there trying to, to live that wicked, sinful life. It takes a lot of courage to stand up and do some things, right? And so we need, we need to have courage. And what I would say, how do we reflect that, is we ask God to give us opportunities to show forth courage. Now, some of that's happening for some of you without even necessarily asking. So, you know, Robert and Chuck and Barney and Miss Vicky and all these people who are battling cancer, all of a sudden we have a chance to show forth God's strength to our family, to our friends, to our church. To our community in ways that you didn't have before. So it's all, all gonna be how we do this, right? If we are courageous, if we are willing to step out of that comfort zone, trust God, then God can use our courage and you know we become a Hebrews eleven person. So uh just an interesting story. All right. Faithfulness. Faithful, faithfulness, those two words are used ninety-seven times in the Bible. The forty-nine and forty-eight are interesting. Forty-nine times they're used. To describe God. And 48 times they're used to describe God's people. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's almost 50 50 because our lives are supposed to reflect the character that we have in Christ. You know, so 49 times describing God, 48 times describing God's people. Uh, We are to be faithful. And, uh, you know, there's a Country song somebody shared with me here a while back, and you can get offended if you want to. I'm going to tell you about the country song, so I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't think I know it. Uh, but you know, it, it's it's uh, it's called "Tell Me About the Good Old Grandpa." Tell me about the good old days, or something like that. All right. So, and it's just like it, In fact, Grandpa, you know, it's just that. But in it, it says something like this: Did did people really marry and stay together? I mean, I'm paraphrasing it, but did that really happen? This is like the granddaughter asking grandpa, "Was there a time when people actually married and stayed together?" Oh, what a thought! What an unusual thought, right? That concept of just being faithful. Did you know we 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 don't understand what it means? Did people actually go to church and were faithful to church? Did people actually we you know what's, you know what's riddled all over all over the internet today are people who used to used to be Christians. I mean, big names, who became big names in Christianity. I, I remember I read a story on two, the Sunday before Easter. I read that story, and, uh, and, and, and it's was powerful, wasn't it? That was a powerful story. When you get to the end of it, I told you, by the way, this guy no longer claims Christianity. I mean, this, how can you have that and then not even claim the name of Christ? Uh, because we're missing this, this character trait in our being. And listen, if you're divorced, I'm not trying to beat you up. You can't you can't undo the past, right? So just please just don't don't think that way. Uh, but you know, if, what we want to do is take steps forward, right? We want to say from this point forward, it's the same when we're talking about abortion, if you had an abortion, you can't change it, you know. Praise the Lord, we have a God that forgives us and moves us forward. Just move forward from it. And we want to have a we want to raise up a generation of people who don't act the same way. Here's, we have two, these two things faithfulness of God, faithfulness of men. Psalm 81 or 89 says, I will sing of the mercy of the Lord forever with my mouth, will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I got to hurry, I'm running out of time. Uh, Psalm 119 says, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations, thou hast established the earth forever. The rainbow is the great uh, picture of God's faithfulness, right? When's the last time the earth flooded? Oh, yeah, that was thousands of years ago, wasn't it? Uh, and God reminds us every time there's a rainbow in the sky, I'm not going to do that again. You know, and he's been faithful. That's God. Uh, Faithfulness of men. Faithful, a faithful witness will not lie. Wow. Is that us? A faithful man. Who can find? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what you can count on a friend to do? Tell you what you need to hear. Not just what you want to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But you know what you don't find on the side with God? You never find an example of unfaithfulness. But look over here in the faithfulness of men. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Have you ever had a cavity? And, uh, you know, you kind of forget about it, and you're just eating along, and all of a sudden you hit that cavity, and it's like, ah! It's like you've you got this false confidence. Oh, like, everything's okay. Ah! it's not okay same, same with a you know foot out of joint it's like you know you forgot that that ankle hurts because it doesn't hurt on every step you take you know but all of a sudden the ground is a little different under your foot and it just about takes you to the floor because you started developing a confidence in something that isn't worthy of your confidence and uh, that's what happens to, with an unfaithful man he's not worthy of our confidence we need to become faithful people we need to learn how to be uh, what God has called us to be <clears throat> and resourcefulness and then we'll be done and give you, I'm going to actually try to give you ten full minutes uh, to pray tonight, which I've been cutting you down about three, so uh, we'll try to give you some time to pray. Uh, but uh, resourcefulness, what is, help me please, define for me resourcefulness? Say it again? Doing
0: the most you can with what you have. Doing the most you can with what we have.
1: Now, you know, so many times. We back away from, let's just deal with serving God, from serving God because we're like, I, I can never, I can't, I can't. And we're focusing on all the stuff that we don't have. And we've failed to be resourceful. Uh, the reality is we can be resourceful and we ought to be resourceful, So, you know, we ought to be looking at what we do have. So that was Moses' argument with God, right? Lord, I can't do this. I can't speak. I can't do this. People aren't going to listen. And, and of course, God's message is, Moses, hello, I'm with you. You know, so, and I've given you more tools than what you think. In fact, in that particular story, it's hilarious because uh, God says, Moses, what's in your hand? What was in his hand? The rod. And God says, throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground. And what happens? He turns into a serpent, snake. What does Moses do? What does Moses do? First thing Moses does? He runs away. I mean, literally, the Bible uses the word run. He runs away. I mean, it's like, he's like most of us would do, right? It always cracks me up that God's next line is Moses, pick it up. <laughs> I mean, Moses has already kind of told you how he feels about this snake, right? I'm out of here. And uh, God says, Moses, pick it up. And he picks it up. I mean, and literally it's like, okay, so Moses, if you run into problems, just show them what I can do with your stick, right? What's at hand? The next thing, you know, God says, you know, Moses, put your hand inside your robe, bring it out. It's leprous. Put it back in, bring it out. It's not leprous. I can't imagine what was going through Moses' mind at that point, right? Because leprous, I mean, you know, in my mind I envision like it's its really bad leprous. Like it's not like a little a little dot. In my mind it's like he brings it out and it's rotting flesh, oozing and dripping. Uh, can you imagine what was going through his mind at that point? You know, now he did fortunately just see the snake, right, thing. So he's like, okay, I know God. And God says, put it back in and it comes back out and it's fine again. It's like, wow. So, you know, but... Learning to, God's like, I've given you what you need. I'm never asking of you what I'm not providing for you. And learning how to be resourceful is a big deal. So many times we just live our lives making excuses. You know, like we can't, we can't, we can't. We live in a we can't society. Look at this. I mean, we we have 21-year-olds who can't drive. And we have... College graduates who can't find anything to do productively with their lives. We live in, and, and if that was like one or two, it'd be like, oh, no big deal. I mean, this is like epidemic. It's epidemic out there. We, we've lost our ability to be resourceful. Uh, Samuel, or Samson, not a great, uh, not a great uh, godly example. He wasn't, really, but uh, he was resourceful. So tell me a, a resourceful story with Samson. The, yes, the jawbone of an ass, right? He, he, was, he slew the Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, and you know, he took what was at hand, and he did what God needed him to do, and uh, you know, he, he didn't look around. You know, he, what else? There's an, at least one more story in there about Samson. He lit foxes' tails on fire and sent them out there to burn up all the fields of the enemy, right? I mean, Samson was very resourceful, right? He like, okay, like, what do I, Lord, would you send down fire? No, I, no, never mind, Lord, I've got some foxes over here, right? I mean, he, he, he was resourceful. He took what was at hand and put it to work for the cause of Christ, put it to work to help us, for us. We, like, put it to work to help our family, put it to work to help our churches, put it to work to help our society, being resourceful. Uh, David, tell me about a time that David was resourceful. Okay, right. You know I mean? They said, here, David, we'll give you the armor so you can kill the giant. And David's like, "Uh, you know what? I've got five stones over here. By the story account, he only needed one, but he had five, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Somebody is jokingly, I hope they were joking, because it's not, I mean, the Bible doesn't say this, but he had four of the stones because Goliath had four brothers. Goliath does have four brothers, but the Bible doesn't say that David took the other four stones just in case they came after him. But anyway, uh, so, you know, it, sometimes we just back away from opportunity because we talk ourselves out of it. You know, and we, lear- we need to learn to be resourceful. What's at hand? What can we do with what's... You want to know somebody in our church that reflected resourcefulness better than anybody that I can ever think of? And that's Bill Sloan. Bill Sloan could do something with nothing. Uh, and, you know, now... I, it may not be this top quality that you would always be looking for, but I mean, he, he could always get the job done with what's on hand. You know, we're like, we need to run out and buy a new one. He's like, why do you need to buy a new one? I've got you know this and this, and we can make this work. And that's what he did. I mean, he, he lived his whole life that way. It was incredible you know, to watch that. So this morning, I was shocked because no one had heard the story of the lady and the pig. So besides Miss Amy, has anybody heard the story of the lady and the pig? Okay, I, I'm, I'm shocked because I, I, I don't remember ever learning it, so to speak. I mean, I heard it as a little kid, and I kind of grew up with it. I kind of assumed that everybody knew it. But what's funny is that when I was, I've got about three of these books that I'm going through on these different character traits and virtues and just kind of, you know, seeing what they have to say about things. And uh, one of the books referenced the story of the lady and the pig. And I thought, oh, well, everybody will know this one. Nobody knew it. So I'm going to tell you the story of the lady and the pig, right? Do you mind that? Um, so this lady went to the market, and she bought a pig. And she's bringing the pig home, and she gets to this fence, and she says, pig, pig, jump over the fence, or I'm going to get home tonight. And the pig said, no. Now, it's an example of resourcefulness, because she's going to use what's around. So she finds a dog. She says, dog, dog, bite pig, pig, well, we'll jump over the fence, and I'm going to get home tonight. And the dog said, No. So she came to a stick. She said, stick, stick, beat dog, dog won't bite, big, big, won't jump on the fence, and I'm going to get home tonight. And the stick said, no. So she came to a fire. She said, fire, fire, burn sticks, stick won't beat dog, dog won't bite, big, big, won't jump on the fence, and I'm going to get home tonight. And the fire said, no. So she came to some water. She said, water, water, quench fire, fire won't burn sticks, stick, stick IP, won't beat dog, dog won't bite, big, big, jump, jump on the fence, and I'm going get home tonight. And the water said, no. So she came to a fox. She said, fox, fox, drink water, water, won't quench fire, fire, won't burn sticks, stick, they won't beat dog, dog won't bite, big, big, jump on the fence, and i gonna get home tonight. And the fox said, yeah. No. <laughs> and so she came to a butcher. She said, Butcher, butcher, kill. Fox, fox, won't drink water, water won't quench fire, fire won't burn six. They won't be dog, dog won't bite pig, pig won't jump a fence, and I'm gonna home tonight. And the butcher said, No. So she came to a rope. It gets a little violent here. Rope, rope, hang, butcher, butcher won't kill. Fox, fox, won't drink water, water won't quench fire, fire won't burn six. They won't be dog, dog won't bite pig, pig won't jump a fence, and I'm gonna home tonight. And the rope said, No. So she came to a rat. She said, "Rat, rat, no rope, rope won't hang butcher, butcher won't kill fox, fox don't drink water, water won't catch fire, fire won't burn stick stick won't be dog, dog won't bite big pig won't jump inside I we'll won't get home tonight." And the rat said, "No." So she came to a cat. She said, "Cat, cat, eat rat, rat won't no rope, won't, won't hang butcher, butcher won't kill fox, fox don't drink water, water won't fire, fire won't burn sticks, <laughs> stick won't be dog, dog won't bite big pig, pig won't jump fence, and I will go get home tonight." Okay, so at some point you gotta stop this story, right? The cat says yes. So the cat began to eat the rat, the rat began to gnaw the rope, the rope began to hang the butcher, the butcher began to kill the fox, the fox began to drink the water, the water began to quench the fire, the fire began to burn the sticks, the dog began to beat the dog, the dog began to bite the pig, the pig jumped over the fence, and that old lady made it home that night. <laughs> Being resourceful, right? <laughs> tools. She had a lot of things to use, tools at hand, right? So we need to learn how to serve God without this expectation that God has to do supernatural things in order for us to be able to serve him. That's not what you find in the scripture. Does God do supernatural things? Yes. But the expectation is that all of us are serving God, and God's already gifted us. Have you read Romans 12 lately? God has already gifted us with what we need to be used by him, to serve him. So let's learn to be resourceful. Father, teach us some things about ourselves and teach us how we can pass these things on to generations. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to uh, the things we've already mentioned for prayer as you break up in prayer groups and uh, find someone to pray with. Miss Ruth will need somebody, so if someone wants to make sure you find her, that would be great. And once you're done, you're dismissed.